This morning, uh, I get to introduce to you, some of you already know him, Dave Job is going to bring us the word this morning. Next week, we're starting a series in the Gospel of John, and I'll kick that off next week. But this morning, Dave Job is going to uh, just take us to the book of Hebrews as, as kind of a prequel to our series in John. And uh, Dave has been a friend for a couple of years now, Dave and Debbie, let me not forget Debbie. Uh, just such a gift to our body, such a gift to, to me and Elizabeth, and uh, they've been with us uh, two, three years now, something like that, two years. And uh, Dave was a pastor in Plano for about 18 years, so he's done this before, much more than I have, and uh, just blessed to open the Word uh, with you this morning. So come on up, Dave, and share God's Word with us. Thanks, Ross. I've been a little under the weather. I apologize for that. So I may have to actually drink out of my water bottle this morning. I'll have that handy. I want to speak a word of encouragement to you this morning from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So if you have your Bible, open up there. If you've got one of those smartphones with an app, you can open up there. Um, and uh, if you don't have a Bible with you or any access, there's uh, there's some Bibles in front of you there, I think in the seat racks in front of you, and you're welcome to take one of those with you after the service today. Um, I want to do really two things, speak a word of encouragement, because in the first seven verses of chapter 12 of Hebrews, uh, the writer uses the, you know, the term endurance, you know, that you have to endure four times. That usually means somebody needs encouragement, if you're encouraged to endure and to persevere. And so, uh, so I think it's an, an appropriate word e- even for us uh, in this day. And also I wanted, uh, as Ross was saying, I want to set up this series for Ross by helping us to get our focus on Jesus uh, this morning. So, uh, so that said, uh, how many of, of you, uh, raise your hands, if you've been on, uh, if you've flown on a commercial airline flight recently, can I see some hands? Okay, now keep your hands up. Keep your hands up if you actually got the safety information card out from your seat back in front of you, read through it carefully before takeoff. That's what I thought. Yeah. I was afraid of that. Deb and I have been in a season of travel. Um, now, that's not unusual for her because she works for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, so she's on Southwest Airlines to Kansas City about three times out of the month. But for me, I've been traveling more than usual. Went to Jamaica in January and helped build some houses with some college kids. In February, Deb and I went to, uh, to Guatemala and accompanied a surgery team that, uh, that we work with every year, uh, doing surgeries in Antigua. And, uh, and, and then uh, the, the next, in March, uh, we went to the, the board meeting for FCA up in Indianapolis. And then we just got back just a little over a week ago from a couple of weeks in Norway, and, uh, and I stayed over and went to Copenhagen after Deb came back to work. And I'm retired. She's still working. So I got four days in Copenhagen. She didn't get. But I'm telling you, I have heard lots of presentations on safety in airplanes. I've seen them, you know, demonstrate the little, you know, the little mask that drops down and be sure you put yours on before you help the person next to you, and I, and I always envision somebody panicking, just flailing away in the seat next to me and ripping my mask off. I don't know how you are about that, but, but uh, I've, seen, I've seen the, you know, the flight attendants put on the vest that's somewhere under our seat and, uh, and pretend to blow in the little hose just in case the CO2 cartridge doesn't work. Uh, that always gives me a little bit of uh, concern. 
but I, I have to say that uh, that British Airways, which we flew on several times in the Norway trip, were about seven flights in the round trip. Um, they now have the comedy club doing their in their pre-flight safety uh, instruction. It's all you see. That's that's what it takes to get people's attention nowadays to, to looking at the say and, and I, I have to confess to you, if I'm honest, I hardly ever pay attention to that at all. I'm usually asleep already having my Beats headphones on when that's taking place, unless we're flying on a Boeing 737 MAX, and then I perk up. Um, but I want you to promise me something this morning. Will you do this? I want you to promise me that you will, on your own time, not during my message this morning, but on your own time, um, sometime, maybe this afternoon, you will carefully and thoroughly read through the end of chapter 12. That you'll soak it all in. We're going to go back to 11, but I want you to soak all the way to the end of chapter 12 because you're going to find closely linked to the text we look at this morning this idea that God, several paragraphs, that God disciplines, God our Father rebukes and punishes his children. When they lead disobedient lives because he loves us. And I trust that he measures that out according to our need. Sometimes it may be a little severe, but he disciplines those he loves. Now, I know you millennials in the room have a difficult time trying to wrap your head around that idea. You see, I grew up with parents who didn't know Dr. Spock. Right? I mean, we got spanked for anything and everything. Really? Now, see, Richard, you know this. Dan, right? Yeah, Jim Wilson back there? You know this, right? We got spanked for anything and everything, didn't we? Seriously. And it didn't matter. It, it wasn't just our parents. Anybody could spank us. Teacher, the vice principal, the coach, the assistant coach, the, the athletic trainer, the guy washing towels in the gym. It didn't matter. Uh, the, the grocery bagger at the Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Amen. See? Now, you see... <laughs> All you 30-somethings in the room, that's what's wrong with you. I'm glad to hear that. You see, you need to read all the way through chapter. I want, you to, I want you to kind of come to grips with this idea that God, because he loves us, because, because of this process of sanctification that's going on in our lives, and that's what we're talking about is sanctification, Salvation and justification has been, has been completed in Christ. And when we're in him, you know, we, we, are, we are secure in relationship with him. But he disciplines us in our journey of faith when he needs to, because sometimes we really need it, don't we? So I want you to read on from, you know, from through the rest of chapter 12. Now, also, if, if you will pay attention, you'll notice that toward the end of chapter 12, 
the, the writer begins to help us to come to grips with who it is that we have come to worship this morning and how we interact with him. Verse 18, for you have not come, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest. Verse 22 says, so terrifying was the sight when Moses was in the presence of God that he says, I tremble with fear. Verse 26, when the first covenant was given, it is said, when the law was given, the first covenant given, his voice shook the whole earth. But now as promised with the new covenant, he now shakes not only the earth, but also the heavens. We saw that when we looked at the book of Nahum and the Minor Prophets recently as well as a quote. Verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. I want you to make a promise that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna soak in that, read all the way to the end. We're going to talk about the first three verses, but I want you to spend a little time in chapter 12. Will you promise me to do that? Look, I love the way Annie Dillard, uh, the observations that she makes in a little book called Teaching a Stone to Talk. Listen, on a whole, she says, I do not find Christians outside of the catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should, should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense. Or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return again. Now, we're, we're about to go to him in prayer. You ready? You realize we're about to, we're about to speak to the God of the universe. And we're going to ask for his presence in the room today. We're going to ask for his power in the room today. Are you ready? I'm okay if you want to just reach down and grab hold of your seat a little bit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we speak your name, recognizing that your name is a name above every name. That one of the last things you said to your disciples on the Mount of Ascension was all power, all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, you go. We're asking, Lord Jesus, for your presence to be manifest in a way that Every one of us in this room will know that you are here, that you are speaking to us, that it is the God of all gods, the God of the universe who created, but whom nothing in the world was made except by him, that that's the one who is not only 
we are attentive to, but is attentive and knows where we are today and knows what our need is, knows where we need to be encouraged and strengthened and challenged. And so, Father, open our eyes to this, the truth of your word this morning, we pray. Bring your power to bear upon our lives so that it's not our strength, but it's your strength that flows in us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Title of the sermon, Therefore. Now, anytime we see a therefore, we have to pause. Why? We have to know what the therefore is there for. Because what the writer of Hebrews is getting us to do is hearken back, is to look back on what he's just written in the previous chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, a chapter that we like to call the Faith Hall of Fame, if you will, a list of of, of godly men and women from the Old Testament. Now, let's, really, let's be really clear about something this morning. Let's be really clear. And I, I believe that God is at work all around us right now. I, I believe he's at work here in Centennial Church in very significant ways. Because I've been on my knees praying for this church, my wife and I. I believe that God is at work. The Holy Spirit is doing something in this place, to draw men and women, young and old, to himself into a personal saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and a relationship with him and, 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 and that God is wanting to deepen and strengthen the lives of believers that are already here and sanctify them in new ways. But let's be clear. We are here this morning because for centuries upon centuries, faithful men and women have believed. They have worshipped. They have served. They have contended for and contextualized the gospel where they lived in the world of their time. They have formed communities of faith and they have impacted the world and they have carried the gospel with them to remote places. For two millennia since Jesus Christ came in person to this planet to fulfill all that the law and the prophets had said. And before them in Hebrews chapter 11, you know, chapter 11 records for us 40 plus generations of those who believed in the promises of God and prayed and watched for their Messiah who was promised to come. Faithful men and women who have gone before us. We're not the first. We're here because of them. Because they sacrificed. They paid a price. And here's what I think they are saying to us this morning. Here's what I think the writer of Hebrews wants us to hear. It's our turn. It's our turn. This is our watch. 
It's our turn to carry the gospel. It's our turn to, to contend for and to contextualize the gospel where, where we live in the neighborhoods and, and the schools and the communities and wherever God has placed us. It's our turn. There are others on deck, already on deck, but we are at the plate right now and we've got to take our swings. You get it? The writer uses a metaphor for us of athletics here. Now, Paul popularized that practice because Paul grew up in Tarsus around the Colosseums and the, the games, and Paul loved to go to the wrestling matches, and he loved to watch boxing and the track and field. And, uh, and I think this is a second-generation writer of Scripture, in my view, in Hebrews, who has borrowed from Paul, this idea of the athletic metaphor, and it, it really works well. I mean, it works really well in our context, doesn't it? Because we're pretty fanatical about sports. But I'm telling you, I'm worn out. I'm worn to a frazzle. You, you know, you realize what happens in March and April every year? All right, we launched Major League Baseball, uh, and we started the NBA playoffs, which last forever, way into the summer, Right? Think of it. And, and we're right in the middle. Dallas Stars are still playing. We got, the, we got the, the Stanley Cup stuff all. I mean, there's just tons of stuff. I mean, we just finished. And, and you know, fortunately, my team lost early in March Madness, so I didn't have to watch it all the way to the end. But I am I'm worn out. How about you? I don't know if I can handle any more sports. I mean, I need a shot of adrenaline, but I got to confess. I got a shot of adrenaline two Sundays ago. I'm in Copenhagen with uh, my best buddy, Ross Prater, not, not Ross BB, but Ross Prater. And, and he and I have been good buddies since we were in grad school, theology school years ago. And the two of us are in Copenhagen, and we, we're, we're having dinner at a restaurant, and they just happened to have a, advertised that they had Wi Fi. And, uh, so I, I, I thought, well, I'm just going to get the Wi-Fi and go see how, what, what, the, what Tiger Woods' tea time is. And I didn't know that they had moved all the tea times up because of the threat of rain. And so, so I, you know, I pulled it up, and Tiger was on, like, hole 15. You get what I'm saying? And one stroke behind the leaders. I'm saying so. I used the free Wi-Fi, and I quickly in Copenhagen. I googled sports bars in Copenhagen, and I found a, I found an appropriate little Irish pub just down the street, and got directions. It was less than three minutes away, and we paid our check as quick. We, hey, we need to check out, and we and, and we bolted down the street to the Irish pub. And, and they had three screens in there with Tiger on them. And we got one that was kind of close to the door. And, and then um, and my buddy Ross went over to the bar and ordered some appropriate drinks for an Irish pub. <laughs> Diet Coke. He only drinks Diet Coke. Okay. Anyway, so, and we're sitting there and we're watching that story unfold. The, one of the greatest comebacks in, 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 in the history of sports. Certainly in Golf, right there in the Masters. And we're watching that. And I mean, and, 
And Tiger is coming up on hole 18. And, and, and I'm telling you, the commentators are saying, we have not seen crowds like this at the Masters around 18 in years. I mean, the place was covered up with people, right? And Tiger's walking on, doffing his hat on the 18th green, and he's walking up to his putt. And about that time, there's about eight or nine kind of rowdy Danish types. It is their town, right? They come walking in the pub, and they're all standing right there in the foyer, and they're just kind of visiting, and, and, and Ross and I can't see the TV. And uh, so, so finally, I just tap a guy on the shoulder and said, excuse me, if you don't mind, hey, if you guys don't mind, we're trying to watch uh, Tiger on the 18th green right now in the Masters. And you know what that, all those rowdy Danish guys just did? They just turned, all turned around and went. So, I mean, we had to get up and walk around them so that we could watch Tiger putt out that short putt and win the Masters. And, you know, and here's the deal. Here's what was surreal. We're in a sports bar on the other side of the world in Copenhagen. And as Tiger leaned over that putt, that whole pub went hush. It just, it just, everything just quietened down. And when the putt dropped, the entire pub just began to applaud. It was a, it was a surreal kind of moment for me. But here's, this is what was classy. So Tiger's walking uphill to sign his scorecard, right? And Bernard Langer and a bunch of former champions are all in the locker room, and they've been watching this thing on, tell, unfold on television. And Bernard Langer tells all these former Bubba, you know, and all these other guys that are in the, that are in the, the locker room, put on your green jackets, guys. We're going to go outside and greet Tiger when he comes walking up the hill. If you were watching, you saw this circle of guys in the, in the master's green jackets come up shaking his hand and hugging him as he came up the hill. Now, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, seeing we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and I want you just to imagine a stadium full of green jackets, Green jackets. These weren't spectators. These were former winners in the quest of faith. These were pioneers. These were the, the guys that were sold out, saying to, to what they were doing for God's plan for their life. So I want you to picture a stadium full of green jackets, and they're cheering and they're encouraging. We are surrounded, the writer of Hebrews says, by this great cloud of witnesses. And the word there is martyrions. We get the word martyr from it, but before it became, it, before it morphed into martyr, as we think of those who had to die for their faith, it first meant one who testifies, one who bears witness. Now, the reason why it did morph is because in the first century, most of those who bore witness to Jesus ended up being what? Martyrs. But the writer of Hebrews is saying there are many who have gone before us and they testify. They are there to encourage us in our race. So let's read on. 
since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. It's interesting. Isn't it the way he divides those two out? Apparently, you see, there are some things that hinder us, that hold us back, that aren't necessarily sinful. Not rooted in anything sinful or inherently evil, but they can become hindrances for us in the race. So Paul, I mean, not Paul, the writer of Hebrews uses that image of the athlete that comes into the stadium and takes off the warm-ups and strips down so that he's able to, you know, to, to run effectively without any encumbrance, without any hindrance, without any extra weight. Apparently there are some things in our lives that may not necessarily be sinful, but they are hindrance. Some of us in this room are being held back from all that God wants to do in and through us because we're hanging on to some things that are not morally sinful things. And, and that's a pretty wide open list. You see, you, you have to be willing to examine your own life. See, for some of us, that might be a hobby. For some of us, it might be our workaholism, you know, whatever, in, in regard to the job. For some of us, it might, be, um, it might be a credit card. You see, there, there's some of us that may have run the balances up on our credit cards so much, and now we're kind of enslaved to that, and God wants us to do something. We've got an excuse because, you know, after all, we, just, we can't afford that right now because we're, we've got all these other debts to pay. I mean, I, I don't know what that is for you. I, I'm going to make a confession this morning. Okay, all right, so, um, you know, I'm retired, but... I bought the house across the street from my daughter in, in Norman, Oklahoma, to flip it. Because, you know, I thought I needed something to do, okay? And so my wife is reminding me constantly that could become an encumbrance to me on my journey of faith, you know? Because she's preaching to me, you know, if Centennial Church needs you, Dave, you need to be there. Because I, I love these two, you know, and I want to be here. So, so I'm, I'm just saying this publicly for you guys, that if that becomes an encumbrance to me, then I will lay it down. I, don't, I do not want to miss what God has for me, but I'm just saying it could be your investment portfolio that you're always tinkering with. It could be, it could be the fact that you know, you've got, you know, you got a you know, four-car garage with a bunch of cars in there that you keep fiddling with. I, I don't know what it is, it, but it, it, it could be good things in your life, but it's not God's best in your life. And if you were to go before him and just say, Lord, is there anything good or bad? You see, because there are some bad things. He says there are some sins which cling to us. There are some sins, the King James says, that easily beset us. Every one of us in this room has some areas in which the enemy can trip us up. He can, you know, he can, you know, he can surprise us and 
and leap on us and, and, and carry us away. Every one of us has some sin which easily entangles. I don't know what yours is. I know what mine is. And the question is always going to be, who are you talking to about that? Who are you sharing those challenges with? This is the area of weakness in my life because I don't want that to, 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 be, to get in the way of me following after Christ and being all that he wants me to be. Because the writer of Hebrews says, here's the thing. You've got to be willing to lay aside every weight, whether it be good or something sinful, a sinful pattern in your life. Let me do business with that. You've got to lay that aside. So that you can run the race. So that he says, so that you can run with endurance. Run with endurance. And that the, the original word in the Greek is, is from two words. Under, to be underneath something and to remain. You know, there's... there's We've, interesting, we've cast off this weight of any, anything that would, you know, that would hinder us from the race. But he says, but remain under the weight of what God has given you, what God's entrusted to you. You know, run with perseverance, run with endurance, the race that is set before us. And the word race in the Greek, it's the word agona. We get an English word from that, right? Agona, agony. This, this isn't a sprint. This is a marathon. This isn't, let's race up the ramp to the carnival cruise, check into our first class room where they've got that really nice plush uh, bathrobe and the towels laid out for us. That's not the picture. The race is agona. It's, it's going to be difficult. It's a marathon. We're probably going to hit the wall. But I want you to run the race. Listen, that is marked out for you. The race that is marked out for you. I want you to stay in your lane. Don't elbow everybody else. I want you to run your race. The one that's marked out for you. So what's the race he's marked out for you? What's the race he's marked out for you? Yeah, that may be different from my race. Right? Ours may be a little different. But we're all going in the same direction on the track right? We're running side by side and we're not elbowing each other and we're not competing, you know, against each other as much as we're to encourage one another to run the race that he has set before us, the one that he's marked out for us. And then we come to the last phrase, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Now that word looking you know, is, is another combination word that literally communicates the idea that you look away from something so that you can fix your attention somewhere else. 
So I think that's in keeping with what he said. We're gonna, those things that hinder us that need to be left behind, we look away from those. We, have, we, we look away from that that distract us. Anything that weighs us down or distract us or tempts us, we look away from that and we fix our attention where? We fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who is the the first and the last. It's, the, it's, it's almost like the Alpha and the Omega again here in Scripture. He is the one who, who brought everything into reality for us. He is the, and he is the author, the initiator of our faith. He's the one who, who revealed himself to us. He's the one who drew us by the Holy Spirit. He's the one that, you know, that, you know, that initiated in, in relationship with us in Christ so that we could, we could know God. We could know our creator. He's the author and he's the perfecter. And the word there is from the same root as the word teleos. And you've probably heard that word used before. The word teleos is found often in scripture. You know. And one of the places that I love most is, is, is a construction of that. When Jesus is on the cross, remember he gets a, he gets a, a drink of sour wine right before the end. And then he cries out in a loud, vo- loud voice, tetelestai, from the root of tetelios. Tetelestai, it is finished. It is complete. It is perfected. What's he, that's, that wasn't a cry of defeat. It was a cry of victory. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that he is our champion. That's the way Tim Keller, by the way, uh, uh, translates that verse. He is the champion and perfecter of our faith. And now here's the gospel. You ready? Here's the gospel. Listen. Who for the joy that was set before him. Because he could see past all the pain and the suffering to what it would mean for you and I. Who for the joy that was set before him to be restored in relationship to his father. To, be, you know, to, to complete the work, the will of God. The, the, to complete the race that God, had, that God had clearly marked out for him. For the joy that was set before him. The exhilaration of finishing. For the joy that was set before them. He endured the cross despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured, there's that word again, from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, that you may be encouraged. Okay, so let's summarize. Here we go. Where do we start? Where do we start? We start in chapter 11. Okay. We start in chapter 11. Okay. Verse 4. By faith Abel. Verse 5. By faith Enoch. Verse 7. By faith Noah. 8. By faith Abraham. By faith Sarah. By faith Isaac. By faith Jacob. By faith Joseph. By faith Moses. Three times Moses. Moses, when he was born, Moses, when he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses, when he left Egypt. Moses, Moses by faith, when he kept the, the Passover. By faith, when they passed through the Red Sea. By faith, when the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, Rahab. By faith, by faith, by faith. 23 times. Where do we start? 
I take it you're not clueless, right? By faith. We put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. We just read the gospel. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, resurrected, he now sits at the right hand of the throne of God to intercede for you and I. He's pulling for us. He's at the finish line already. We faith in him. By faith in him, and then we enter into this sanctification, this process of sanctification. Because we have to grow in our faith. It starts by faith, but how does it grow? When we lay aside every weight and every sin that easily entangles, distracts, encumbrances us. When we, we take inventory in our life and say, what is it that's holding me back? And then we commit to run the race the marathon with endurance, to persevere, to push through. Even when we don't feel like it, and we're not going to wait around for the emotion to kick in, we're going to push through and we're going to endure. We're going to persevere. We're going to spend the time it takes daily to to keep our eyes focused where they need to be focused on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It's pretty well said right there in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3, isn't it? I love what Paul says in Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to perfection on the day of his coming. He will finish it. It's another form of teleos. He is faithful. When we're not faithful, he is still faithful. That's why he may have to discipline some of us along the way. He's not above that. He does what's necessary in you and I so that we can be all that he created us to be. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that over these next few weeks, as Ross leads us, in this new series, each week looking at a different story, aspect, characteristic of Jesus, your son, I pray that we will encounter him freshly and that our eyes really will be fixed on him. Father, I pray that every one of us in this room would be willing to open ourselves, open ourselves up to the work of the Holy Spirit that you might Bring before us anything that is a hindrance, whether it be something that's good and moral or something that is a besetting sin, a, um, a continual challenge for us. We know that you allow those things in our life because they they cause us to have to look to you continually and to the cross. We don't want to be distracted by good things. We don't want to be distracted and carried away and, and tripped up by sin. So, Father, keep us focused on the cross. Your mercy and grace and forgiveness that is 
afforded to us every day that we live in every step along this journey, that we don't have to go it alone, that we, that we, can, we can run the race in your strength and allow your strength to flow in us. But I do pray, Father, that as we journey forward from this day, there'd be some of us in here that would want a fresh look at Jesus and just fix our eyes, our hearts, and our minds upon him. We ask it in Christ. Bless him. Amen.